welcome back uh, to the third season of Mutual Aberration Society. The third season, you ask? Yes, the third season. Um, why am I making this season three? Um, a big reason is um, I've already hit the milestone of 50 episodes uh, with the podcast, and I felt like that's a good moving forward, you know, from 50 would be a good, I don't know, point to start a new season after. Um, also, uh, if you don't notice, um, this is a solo uh, episode where I don't have on a guest and I definitely wanted to, uh, start doing more episodes that were solo based. Uh, not because I have an issue, uh, scheduling guests. That's not an issue at all. I don't even mind doing it. Um, like I said, I've been doing it up to this point, basically, um, but I did want to have, I do, I do like episodes where I'm able to talk, uh, about a film uh, without having to sort of go through the steps that typically I would have to go through in order to talk about the film when it comes to having uh, a guest on. See, uh, usually, um, what happens is I have a film in mind or I discover a film and then I have to sort of reach out to the person, um, get them to sort of confirm that they'll come on the podcast. Then I have to give them the movie. Um, then they have to watch the movie. Then we have to schedule, you know, a time for when they can come on and talk about the movie. Um, which again, that's fine. But, um, there's a lot of, there's just a lot of movies that I want to talk about. Um, a lot of things in general uh, that I want to talk about. Uh, and I really wanted to set a new tone uh, moving forward because I am a big fan of uh, podcasts that are single uh, host podcast. And what I mean by that is like just one person uh, in a room talking into a microphone like I am now, um, I probably mentioned this before, uh, I like, uh, Lex G, the Lex G movie podcast, um, I think, I think he's got a pretty good solo podcast, a podcast where it's just him talking about one movie specifically, or several movies, or whatever sort of film-related topic, uh, that he talks at length about, and it's just him, and it's very listenable, um, also, uh, all units, uh, old podcast by uh, Sean McTiernan. Um, he also has a new podcast that I listen to, uh, which you should all probably listen to as well, called SF Ultra. Uh, Sean McTiernan does a lot of solo-based podcasts. Um, and again, those are some of my favorite ones. Now, I do enjoy um, podcasts with guests, and I will continue to have guests on MAS moving forward. That's not going to change. But what I wanted to do uh, with this new season is set a new tone. Um, and that tone is sort of me doing a lot more solo, uh, episodes about specific movies. And as I've already said, you know, um, I'll probably be able to do a lot more, uh, different kinds of interesting sort of fringe films, uh, 
if I set sort of or establish sort of more of a from time to time there might be a guest and other times it might be just me because much like uh, creating um, something um, a piece of work or piece of art and I mean making a podcast in and of itself is a creative act uh, but like you want to be able to move at the speed of thought it's important to me to be able to do that um, so allowing myself to do a lot more solo episodes about specific you know works of art or specific topics allows me to do that like I can really move at the speed of thought you know I can I can get my thoughts together and be like all right cool let's do an episode about this because something maybe something just really inspired me to have you know to 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 talk or to think out loud you know um and, and, and do a and do an episode of MAS about it um uh, so yeah and also um dropping um more episodes where it's just me solo uh will probably uh result in me doing more episodes uh than one a week um not that I couldn't have done that before I've definitely had uh, weeks where I've had multiple episodes sort of already recorded and I could have dropped <laughs> more than one. Uh, but, but I didn't really want to do that. I really, especially when I have a guest, I really, I really like to space it. You know what I mean? Like, let's not like, you know, bombard people with multiple episodes with multiple guests in one week. But when it's just me, um, I feel less self-conscious about doing something like that. Plus I feel like there's just a lot of, again, there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of stuff I've been meaning to talk about. There's a lot of films. I have a backlog of list of movies. Uh, and sometimes I will give my guest a peek at a list. And I usually just give them a list of like 10 out of this long list. That's tens upon tens upon tens of different movies uh, uh, that they can choose from. You know, I'm not going to, you know, give someone a list of over 100 <laughs> films to choose from to come to watch and then to talk about. So I try to narrow it down and narrow it down to ones that I feel like uh, they'll be entertained by, you know, because that's again, it's like it's nothing worse than making someone sit through something, you know, and I feel like, you know, they're tortured by it. Right. Like. Um, and that's another uh, added benefit to doing uh, a lot more solo based episodes is I don't have to force people to watch it. Like I have a very particular kind of taste and I might derive uh, some sense of enjoyment or interest out of watching a film that is very tedious just based on the fact that it has one aspect or element to it that I find appealing and it's kind of not fair to have uh, or sub to subject a person that you've invited onto your podcast to a movie like that um, so yeah those types of movies I can feel less guilty about, uh, you know, talking about when I didn't have to force anyone else to watch it. I can I could just watch it myself, uh, do an episode about it. And then, you know, if if the listeners decided, hey, what Ryan is talking about is interesting enough, let me check this out. Then it's on you at that point. But like if I've already forced my guest to sit through some murderously <laughs> torturous uh uh viewing of, of 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 some obscure movie and then they're probably like sitting there like ryan why did you make me watch this 
um, yeah, I feel a little, yeah, I don't feel guilty at all. It's just me. Uh, with that said, <laughs> uh, today I'm going to be talking about, um, a movie from 1992. Uh, it is a German film. Uh, it's an SOV German splatter film to be, uh, more precise. Uh, it's called the burning moon and it's by, uh, Olaf Ittenbach. Now, uh, Olaf Ittenbach, uh, for those who aren't familiar, uh, with his, with him as a filmmaker or with, with his work, as I've already stated, you know, he's a German filmmaker, right? But, uh, he got to start making sort of, again, shot on video stuff, very low budget stuff, gore, you know, like this movie, for example, The Burning Moon is a very gory, uh, low budget horror movie. Um, but he's directed, you know, a lot of, he's, he's actually, you know, this is somewhat of a cult, cult favorite. You know, this is a movie that I think, uh, got like a Severin Blu-ray release or some kind of Severin, uh, release, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I could, I could look this up right now cause I'm sitting here in front of a laptop. Um, but Hey, fuck it. We're going live. Right. Um, uh, he's also done a lot of different other movies that, you know, uh, Permutos or pre, uh, Premutos, uh, I think, uh, that's how you pronounce it. Uh, Dard Divorce. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones that are notable in my mind right now. Um, he has this other, uh, this short film that I think that came before the burning moon. Uh, I think it was, or it's not really a short film. It's a feature film, right? I think it's from the late eighties. It's called black past. Also, I think that was also shot on video. Um, you know, some of these other movies that he's done, you know, uh, moving forward have actually been, you know, films with actual budgets. Uh, you know, obviously, like I said, uh, Premutos definitely has a budget or had a budget. Um, again, he shot on film. Uh, you know, he's I think he's shooting on digital now. I mean, as most people are. Uh, but I'm pretty sure uh, his, some of his other films, like maybe it was like Legend of Hell. Um and like dark divorce, you know, may have been shot on film. Uh, but yeah, uh, the reason I wanted to uh, talk about this movie, uh, is because, well, um, there's a lot of reasons to want, I want to talk about movies like this. Uh, but I feel like this is a movie where all of its, flaws all of its limitations it manages to overcome and it manages to overcome them by sort of just barreling forward regardless of the limitations almost like saying fuck you to the limitations, <laughs> uh, like, uh, when you watch this movie, because again, it's, it has no budget. It's shot on video. Um, it has, you know, bad actors to passable actors. I mean, uh, Ittenbach is, uh, actually in, in, in a, in a role himself. Uh, he actually plays, uh, the, the, I don't know if you want to call him the main character, even though the, the movie starts with him and focuses on him. Um, but he plays this sort of like angsty, troubled teenager who, you know, who we're introduced to 
in the very beginning um, of the of the movie. Uh, uh, but yeah, like despite all of all of like the obvious sort of things that like you would see about the burning moon on the surface that would make you say, ah, this is a cheap piece of shit, right? Because um, it definitely has those things. It still manages to sort of use those things in a way where it becomes sort of part of the overall film's sort of I use the I, I say this a lot when I talk about a lot of movies, it, which is charm. Then I feel like charm is an is an important uh, aspect to movies, not just small independent fringe movies, but even big giant you know studio financed uh, films as well. Like I feel like charm is a uh, important aspect to a film, like what makes this movie appealing besides, you know, um, it's slickness besides it's sort of like the elements that you're seeing on screen that are sort of more based in sort of, uh, the bounds of its budget. Right. Uh, 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 what, you know, and even then, like we, we see plenty of movies, um, that have, all the sort of financial resources, but yet have zero sort of charm or any sort of leave any sort of imprint on you um, while watching it and after, you know, the credits, like you walk away and you just completely forgot the movie. Um, so, yeah, The Burning Moon is one of those movies where it has none of that, right? It has none of none of the. Um, fancy sort of camera work or, you know, high quality acting or, you know, access to sort of uh, any of the sort of high production value elements that uh, movies with actual budgets do. And yet it still has a fucking charm to it um and it's weird to say a movie uh that's as kind of bleak as the burning moon is in terms of what it's saying or what it's trying or what it's depicting um on screen uh it has that charm um now i think i think at the time you know um Bach was in college when he made this he was like in his 20s um as you can see, he's very young. Like I said, he's he plays the the sort of main character. Uh, and and, to, and for me to sort of like break down what the Burning Moon is about, uh, it follows this. Uh, you know what? Since since this is a solo episode, um, I'm still gonna do what I would typically do uh, when it's a guest episode and read the letterbox synopsis because I feel like that'll be a helpful way to sort of break down what the burning moon is for people who are uh, unfamiliar. So here we go. Uh, when the moon is full, the blood tide rises. 
The Burning Moon centers on two bedtime stories that a delinquent brother reads his kid sister after injecting himself with heroin. These disturbingly morbid stories focus on a serial killing blind date and a murderous psychotic priest. The Burning Moon is so is notorious for being one of the bloodiest and goriest SOV movies. So yeah, um, it is basically uh, the delinquent brother who, like I said before, is played by Olaf Ittenbach. Uh, he does read two stories. So essentially his story is sort of kind of like a wraparound story. And it's, and it's a little bit of a, uh, it's not really, I don't like to call it an anthology. You know what I mean? Even though it's sort of similar in the fact that it has a wraparound story. And then there's two separate, you know, stories that are basically essentially short movies. Uh, and then it comes back to the main wraparound story at the end. But again, this is all done by Olaf Ittenbach. Um, and what's very interesting about uh, the way that it's done is is sort of, you really, you, it's just a really unique way of, 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 of approaching um, <clears throat> this kind of thing. Because typically, I mean, I've seen plenty of like anthology horror movies. Um, but what I found kind of interesting about the Burning Moon is is how we, first you're introduced to 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 Olaf as again this delinquent teenage uh, boy. His name is Peter, um, and Peter. I think Peter, he's like with a friend and he's, he wants to like, he has to go to some job interview and at the job interview, like the, the guy who's giving him the interview is basically giving him every chance possible. And we're just watching Peter, uh, sort of blow off completely. Just say fuck, fuck, fuck the guy in the interview. Right. Like literally, uh, the guy in the interview is like, basically telling him like listen there's no reason you should probably you know there's no reason I should hire you but I'm gonna give you a chance you know um and Peter's basically like you know what man fuck you I don't care <laughs> you know what I mean like the guy's like literally saying um hey listen man I'm willing to work with you I know you I know you don't have uh, uh on paper you don't have any of the necessary uh qualifications for this job in terms of and I don't know if this is an entry-level job I don't know what kind of job it is um but just based on sort of like Peter's attitude and lack of experience, we get the sense that like, oh yeah, this guy's still willing to like, you know, cut him, cut him some slack and, and do him a solid and be like, hey, you know, I'm gonna give you a shot regardless. But Peter's not interested in that at all. Basically storms out of this job interview, meets back with his friend. I think uh, they're like drink, they like drink beer, drive away. Um then this like leads to sort of like this this scene that's like him and his friends uh f have like a meetup in a back alley and it's like a gang fight <laughs> it's like a gang fight like it's it's really like uh theatrical and like uh kind, kind of uh, campy and over the top uh but very moody you know what i mean <laughs> there's like smoke and and like the gangs they literally have like i think like pipes and knives and they're like beating the shit out of each other and then like uh 
yeah, Peter and his friends get into this gang fight. Um, then Peter comes home, and he, his, he sees his mom. Um, his mom asks him where he's been, what happened to him. He immediately uh, yells at his mom, I think shoves her out of the way. Uh, then then his, his mom goes to see his younger sister, who, you know, is getting ready for bed or whatever. And, and she's saying, hey, you know, me and your father have to go somewhere. We'll be back. Uh, but, you know, your brother will watch you. And she and, her, and, and the younger sister is like, you know, Peter's just going to bring his stupid friends over. He's not going to, you know, you're not going to leave me with him, are you? And she's and the mom says, no, don't worry. Like, we'll tell him not to. So then like. Uh, the father uh, basically has to come in and tell Peter to watch his sister as, you know, uh, him and Peter's mom, you know, go out for the evening or whatever. And the whole fight kicks off. And then the father ends up, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think I, Peter ends up like shoving it, hitting his mom or striking his mom in some way. And then the father has to like, you know, jump in and basically, I think, I think it doesn't he like, he, he definitely, he definitely hit, he, he hits Peter um, and basically tells him like, you know, like you're going to watch your sister. All right. Like, and you're going to do what the fuck I say, um, more or less, you know, if you want to live here. Um, again, this kid is, is a very troubled, like, like as as mentioned in the synopsis, a delinquent kid. Like, well, yeah, for real. Peter's Peter's got issues for sure. Uh, but this resolves. The parents leave. Uh, the little girl's laying down. Then we see a scene of Peter shooting up heroin. Um, which again, it's hilarious. Uh, just the way this is shot. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, Peter shoots up some heroin, um, and then he walks out onto a balcony. Um, outside his room and sees the moon and literally, uh, you know, uh, do this show the Leonardo, uh, from Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen meme from once upon a time in Hollywood. Cause this is the moment where he looks up at the moon and the moon catches fire, you know, hence the title, the burning moon. Um, and then he goes into his sister's bedroom. He says she can't sleep. He literally tells her, you can't sleep, can you? And the girl is awake, uh, to be fair. I mean, I guess that's a accurate observation he made. Good job, Peter. Uh, <laughs> uh, but so he, he says, I'm going to read you some stories. And the little girl's like, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to hear your stories. But Peter's like, you're going to hear my stories. Uh, and the first story uh, that Peter tells his sister is uh, called Julia's Love. Now, uh, Julia's love is, uh, again, it is a story, uh, about a, 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 a girl named Julia, <laughs> uh, who sort of, she does end up having a date with an escaped serial killer. Um, and fortunately, but unfortunately, uh, for Julia, uh, she does discover, uh, that she's on a date with a serial killer um, who's escaped from a mental facility uh, and she's able to get away while uh, on the date they're in the car and he says he needs to go get some cigarettes and as he's going to get the cigarettes and she turns on the radio she just conveniently overhears uh, information about the serial killer aka her day uh, and the sort of the car that he's escaped in and they say the license plate number it happens to be the same car she's sitting in um she puts two and two together checks the license plate number it says oh shit wisely runs away um 
I think, flags down a car and drives off. So by the time um, our killer returns, she's gone. But she made one mistake. And this is what I say, unfortunately, but unfortunately. Um, fortunately, she got away. But unfortunately, she left her wallet, uh, which becomes a, a, a fatal mistake uh, because her date, uh, a.k.a. the serial killer uh, in question, uh, he looks at the wallet and has now he has her address. So, of course, we know what happens uh, at this point. Um, he, he follows her home. Um, and at 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 home, um, we are entered. Once she gets home, she has no idea at all whatsoever uh, that she has left her wallet behind, uh, and she says nothing to her parents when she gets home. Um, she says nothing to anybody about what happened. Um, oddly, um, but not—I mean, not terribly. I guess. I guess you know, given the situation, she's probably. I think. I think she's even like kind of like trying to figure out what she should do like who should she talk to should I tell somebody she's like weighing it in her head but like she comes into the house uh, we see her mo her mother you know and her father and she has a younger sister like we're introduced to pretty much you know the members of her family um and then of course uh un un unbeknownst to sort of uh Julia uh the killer has arrived uh and he uh well, a few interests. Let me let me. I'm skipping a few things, right? I'm skipping a few things because uh, the moment that he finds the wallet and he decides to go after her, um, the first thing he does on his way is he stops and picks up a hooker, um, and immediately uh, he kills the hooker when she gets in the car, uh, stabs her, and then he's uh, in traffic at a light. Um, and there's a guy in a car waiting behind him and he's got a dead hooker sort of over his lap in as he's sitting at the light and the light turns green and he sits there at the light. Uh, he's just off in his, you know, um, in a psychotic trance <laughs> for, 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 you know, or, or whatever he's, he's zoned out, right? Uh, <laughs> he's tweaking. Um, and of course the guy behind him is like, yo, move. Like he starts to beep his horn. And when he does that, uh, the serial killer opens the sunroof of the car he's stolen, um, that he's been riding around in. And he takes the severed head of the hooker and throws it out. And it lands on the hood of the car behind him, beeping at him. So obviously the guy in the car is freaked the fuck out by this, right? And then the serial killer pulls off by the guys like, holy shit, staring at this sort of severed head that, that just rolled off the hood of his car. Um, th that comes back uh, in the story. But so now the killer shows up to Julia's house. Uh, the, f the first the first person that uh, gets killed is her mother. Um, and again, like, this is a this is a this is a uh, this is definitely uh, falls under the uh, subgenre of well it falls under multiple subgenres right you know one of them being an SOV movie shot on video but also it's a uh, German splatter movie um, and this movie definitely uh, fulfills the splatter uh, requirement 
right? <laughs> which is which is it, it is definitely has, like I said, it has a lot of gore. Uh, and this isn't even really this first this first story is the is not really uh, the most. It gets even more gorier with the second story, but but this is a pretty brutal sort of massacre of of Julia's family uh, by the serial killer. He he kills the he kills the mother. I think I think the first thing she like doesn't he like she's like in the kitchen and he like cuts her fingers, wash her hands over the butter, and her fingers are like severed over the butter. Then he like it's like really gnarly looking like cheap gore. Um, then I think he like decapitates her too, or slices or he slits, he slits her throat. Then the father he ends up like killing, um, and then the younger sister who there's an interaction uh, with the younger sister and Julia when they're upstairs, uh, and she's even asked her how the date goes, and she says like basically confesses like I don't you know like I don't think I'm ever gonna, I think she makes a joke like you date you date nuts or psychos, and she's like you're right I only do I do date psychos you know. Like little does she know, like yes, yes, that's exactly who you just got off a date with. She's like, "Is there a Mister Right out there for me?" And her sister tried to cons- try younger. I don't know if she's younger. I think she's younger. Tries to console her and say, "There's somebody out there for you," you know. Um, and then of course, uh, her younger sister, uh, she gets murdered. And uh, I think about around the time that uh, Julia has, is unaware as these murders are happening in the house, right? Because she's off in her own, you know, thinking about sort of what she should do and she finally decides you know what I should call somebody I should tell them you know what happened like that like this guy that they're looking for like he's out there I was on a date with him or whatever and as she that's when she walks out of her room to go to say I don't know if she's going to go call somebody or talk to her mother or whatever but immediately uh she starts to encounter her dead family members I think first she sees uh her parents she she freaks out um both times runs up to stairs and then ends up seeing her sister uh which again is pretty again pretty gruesome sort of scene blood everywhere uh again this movie gory gory as fuck uh okay this inevitably uh ends up you know becoming a confrontation between julia and the killer uh julia basically you know tries to flee from the killer um unsuccessfully though uh but okay and this will comes back to sort of that moment in with the severed head in traffic uh right before julia's going to get killed by the killer uh his head explodes because he's shot um now he gets shot by the guy who he threw the severed hooker head at that was in the car behind him beeping at him because the guy uh it was a cop um and he Obviously, you know, um, once he got his shit together after having a fucking severed head thro- uh, thrown at his car, uh, he decided to follow uh, after the killer. Uh, so, yeah, he saves the day by literally shooting him in the head, making his head explode. Again, great little, you know, low budget, lo-fi uh, head explosion. Um, I don't know what kind of bullets this cop had in his gun. Maybe they were like dum-dums. <laughs> But causing uh, heads to explode like that. I mean, I mean, they were, but again, we're going we're gonna to roll with it, right? And that's essentially the first story. Uh, it's a very, it's a very fucked up little, little story, little tale. But that's just, you know, starting the fucked upness. Is that everything? The fucked upness? <laughs> you figure after doing 50 podcasts, I would 
know how to talk, but uh, maybe around 100. I'll know how to talk a little bit better. Uh, but the second story, uh, I think it's called Purity. And Purity is, uh, man, Purity is the final of the two, um, the final of the two, man. Uh, I got coffee. I mean, let me, let me, uh, let me get some coffee. Purity is about a priest who, uh, we don't even know he's a priest. We're introduced to uh, him. I think this was supposed to take place in the fifties. This may have been based on some sort of local crime that happened. I don't know where I'm getting that from. I think I heard that, um, in Germany, but we see this woman, she's walking at night, very young, innocent type of woman, um, innocent, young, innocent type of woman. Uh, she's walking at night. Um, and a man jumps out and he says something like, uh, you're so pure. I want your purity. Da, 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 da. Uh, guy looks like, you know, he looks like a murderer. I mean, but in, in a way where he's like, he's got the Jeffrey Dahmer style glasses, uh, you know, looks like it looks like he is but and, and and again the scene's kind of rough because it's like he knocks the woman down um pulls his pants down uh and proceeds to you know trigger here he does rape the woman um and then he gets up off of her and he pulls out a revolver and shoots her in the head um and then immediately uh the scene cuts to the same man giving a uh church sermon uh he's a preacher he's a priest okay immediately uh after we see that this man is a priest he's speaking to the town um because it's the girl's funeral um she's literally in a casket uh made up we still see the bullet wound in her forehead again i'm i don't know if that's a thing in germany uh i don't know i don't know if it's a product of the movie's low budget but it would just seem to me it would be in poor taste to sort of have an open casket and still have a bullet hole uh, prominently displayed on the woman's forehead, but that's, that's what, <laughs> that's what we see. Um, uh, we see a, a her in the casket, uh, with the bullet wound in her forehead. So he's literally, uh, basically saying that the person who did this is evil. The evil will pay for this. He literally did it again. This guy, this priest is a evil fucker. Okay. Uh, but then we're introduced to a second character, uh, sort of like simple man, simple minded guy, uh, that lives in this small town, um, fairly innocent guy, maybe Lenny from Mice and Men in terms of sort of like his, sort of like, I'm a farmhand and I'm like, you know, I don't kind of, you know, I'm not very smart, um, and I'm fairly innocent, you know, um, but the people in the town, I guess he's an outsider, he hasn't been there that long, they blame the murder on him, um, and apparently there have been a series of murders because, again, this priest has been killing people in the town and then sort of has to sort of console the town after the fact over and over again. It's really diabolical shit, right? Um, but uh, one of the townspeople tells him, like, you know, I know you did this. We're going to get you, you know. And then, of course, this whole dilemma uh, uh, that this character obviously has where he's like, I didn't kill anybody. They're going to hurt me. You know, he even goes and talks to the priest about it. And the priest, again, once again, uh, offers offers him, you know, some, con you know, he offers to, con you know, words of, I don't know, uh, words of advice, but also words of sort of like, you know, try to, you know, ease his, uh, 
his worries, uh, his very real uh, worries that these people want to kill him because they think he's killing uh, people in the town, in the village. Uh, the priest tells him, don't worry, they'll go to hell if they do anything. These, they're not going to do anything to you um, or whatever. Um, and then, of course, uh, the priest proceeds to uh, kill another person. Uh, I think it's a, a husband and wife. He breaks into the house of one of the townspeople at night. Um, surprising the husband who's sitting, you know, in, in his in his home, like alone. Um, his wife's upstairs uh, and he shoots him about, I don't know, he empties a clip. He empties a revolver in the guy, then puts more bullets in it and shoots him again. Um, it's again, very each bullet hit like some of the bullets, even if some of the bullets hits even miss. But of course, eat with each bullet hit. There's a, you know, a, a, a geyser of blood that explodes from this man's body uh, until finally you know, he's uh, hits him in the head, headshot. Um, and then he goes upstairs, uh, and the wife, I mean, you know, she's, she's freaking out cause she hears gunshots downstairs, but she doesn't think to move, get out of the bed, nothing, you know, cause why would you do that? Right. Why would you not, you know, but whatever gets upstairs, uh, basically, uh, I think he, uh, hits the wife, basically knocks her out. And then like she, she, she awakes, uh, with her hands, she says she's her hands are tied, but like by chains, I believe, and she's against a wall. Um, and we see him; he has some sort of candles, like a makeshift sort of altar. You know, he's got like a Bible. He's got a a, a, a menacing looking blade, um, which he then uh, puts to the woman's throat uh, when she's after she's like regained consciousness. And she's clearly, you know, um, freaking out because of her situation, slices her throat, uh, then fills this sort of goblet uh, with with the blood that's spilling from her throat, drinks it. Um, and then we get this weird like flashback of like him as a child. uh it's very weird. Like it's, it's just a weird thing. And I forgot to mention this, this is a sort of uh, a recurring motif or theme in the burning moon because, uh, we get the sense that like in the first story, not purity, but in Julia's story, uh, there's flashbacks that the serial killer that are literally, you can tell, um, that Ittenbach is referencing pieces, pieces, because there's a flashback scene of the serial killer uh, watching his grandfather murder his entire family with an axe. And like as the kid is watching, he's like trying to cover his eyes. And the grandpa looks at him and says, it's your turn. And he's like, no. And then he's like watching. But it looks exactly like the opening scene in Pieces. Um, for those who don't know, Pieces is a... And I mean, if you listen to MAS, you probably know what Pieces is. But Pieces is an Italian slasher movie uh, about a killer with a chainsaw chopping uh people to pieces on a college campus it's fucking great sounds exactly if you're into that type of shit if you're into this you're gonna love pieces pieces definitely a uh definitely uh a gem in this sort of genre um again that's an italian that's an italian slasher as opposed to a a, uh, a german sort of splatter film uh but anyways yeah um but again, that child, that boyhood trauma shit, and it's like it ties back to sort of 
the first story and the second story, but also the wraparound story with Peter, because we, we get the sense that like Peter has his own sort of, tr he's a troubled young man, you know what I'm saying? And that ties back to his own childhood. You know, obviously you see, you get the glimpses of that when you see the sort of argument between him and his father and you sort of get the sense that like, oh yeah, like this is all sort of related. I don't know how much Olaf Ittenbach uh, thought about that, you know, because this movie definitely doesn't give a fuck about your feelings. It doesn't give a fuck that it doesn't have a budget. It doesn't give a fuck about anything. It's just like, fuck it. I'm going to, we're just going to go for it. And again, that's part of this movie's charm. It's just like this movie just really does go for it. Um, but yeah. Uh, so back to purity. Uh, we see this flashback scene with, with the priest. Right. Um, and I, and I, if I, if I remember correctly, um, the priest, like, the priest, when the priest is a young child, he's told, like, to look, he looks at a cru a crucifix with Jesus on it, right? Um, and as he's looking at it, uh, the scene sort of does this, I don't know, the way that, the way that Ittenbach sort of like translates this on screen is like the kid looks at this cross of Jesus. Right. Um, and then like the scene flashes, it gets dark. A woman appears, uh, in a, in a sort of robe and like brings him a book, which we quickly discover is like, this guy's like a worshiper of the devil. Like, and it's like at this moment in his childhood is where like he gets taken on this path because uh, the whole reason for him looking at the cross is he's told by, I don't know if it was his mother or he's told by an older woman or someone in his family that he needs to be, he, he should be a priest. He's like outside playing and they tell him like, I want you to grow up to be a priest. And then he looks at the cross and there's this moment. And it's like, it's weird. Again, it's weird the way it's depicted on screen. Uh, but essentially like there's the change happens when he's a very young boy and he's offered this book by this woman and he's like who, who are you and she's turns around and it's no longer a woman it's this cool sort of again very lo-fi demon creature effect where this great demon creatures looks like i'm from hell nah, you know and it's you know it, it's it's cool it's it's a gnarly looking kind of like effect the way the way that uh inbox able to pull this off uh but at that moment he becomes like this kind of like he does become a priest but he becomes a priest that's two-faced because he's really uh, preaching the word of God, but meanwhile, he is a worshiping, uh, the devil, and, like, uh, so this whole scene where he, like, slip, you know, kills this husband and wife, and he, like, drinks the wife's blood, and he's, like, you start to get the sense of, like, uh, the, it's not even the sense, the movie straight up shows you, you know, that he's a worshiper, and then he's saying, you know, very sort of, like, cryptic sort of things about, like, hell, and, wanting to be joying, you know, wanting to send these evildoers, which ironically he is as himself to, to hell. So for them to suffer and he's, you know, it's his mission and you know, all this bullshit, all this sort of, you know, devil worshipy, you know, culty kind of crazy shit, uh, which, you know, he goes out of his way to do. Uh, and then, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, he decides to join, um, I guess hit his Lord in hell. So he puts one bullet in the chamber, shoots himself 
uh, in the mouth, blows out the back of his head, and he's dead. Um, now, at the same time as that happens, um, the people in the town have decided it's this guy's fault. You know, the innocent guy, the new guy, the guy, the farmhand, and they they're like, he's got it. We got to kill him. They're all at like the local bar. Uh, you know, they, they decide the, the some of the men in the town we got to kill this guy. Uh, so they give money to this one guy um, to do the job. You know, and he basically nods and said, "Okay." And he puts some change on the counter, gets up to leave. And uh, meanwhile, there's an old woman who's sort of you know part of the town who's like overheard this, and she goes to tell the kid, you know, the the young guy at the farm, like, "Hey, you you know they're gonna do something. They're gonna do something to you. You you need to hide." And, and the, you know, the guy being a very simple minded, he said, well, I got to I got to do the farm work. I got to work on the farm now. You know, you know, any of us sort of like, you know, uh, the average guy or average person would hear that, get it, hear that information and probably be like, yeah, it's, it's time for me to go. Um, but, you know, he's like, no, nah, I got to finish this job on the farm. Um, so he does. And of course, we know what happens. The guy shows up, does kill him and with a a fucking uh, hammer. He like beats him with a hammer and then proceeds to stab him with a pitchfork just to make sure he's dead. Um, and then he kind of like leaves him there. Uh, and then uh, he comes back to where he stays, where he lives. And there's another guy asking him if he finished the job. He said, yeah, of course I did. He's like, what'd you do with him? I just left him there. And then the guy says, you just left him there? Like, like questions him. Like, and he's like, yeah, he's like, who cares? Like the whole town is in on it. Like no one's going to fucking say anything about this. Like we're all in agreement that this, this is what needed to happen. Right. Um, but weirdly enough, uh, this is, again, this is, this is where the story like purity takes this weird sort of turn that's unexpected. Cause it's like most stories that are told like this don't go the route that this goes. So it's like the, the priest, the priest guy kills himself. Right. Boom. Which is like, wow, that came out of nowhere. Right. And then this guy gets killed. And then you're like, where does the story go? Well, the story from that, this point, um, basically the, the priest from hell is able to sort of resurrect the, the, the innocent man. Um, and then the innocent man is able to rise up his corpse, rise off the ground. Um, and like in this weird moment, uh, while he's able to sort of do that to get sort of his revenge, you think, oh, this means he's going to like kill him. No, that's not what happens. Um, in fact, it sort of feels unresolved in the movie because it's like, all right, he's able to rise back up. But then like what happens next is <clears throat> that the guy that they paid to kill the man is at his house and then like he sits up and in, in, in the middle of the night and has this sort of like, if you want to call it a out of body hallucinatory experience where he's basically sent to hell. Uh, and then we get this very insane depiction of hell. Like again, a lo-fi, uh, despite their budgetary links, they go ham. This is the moment where this movie's probably known for is this hell sequence, which is like, it's just a series of tortures and gore effects and people getting, you know, you know, people getting disemboweled and limbs chopped off and being tortured and shot and just all every, they threw all you could tell, like they just threw 
everything into the into this this sequence of like you know um this hell sequence in this movie and it's the most glorious part of the movie uh and it's, and it's probably the one that stays with you the most right um and i won't ruin like the whole thing you know outside of telling you pretty much everything that's just happened <laughs> uh thank you for coming on movie book report uh yeah for those who don't like movie book reports don't listen to my podcast you know what i mean go listen to a podcast that's uh more of a hang you know i mean i guess podcasts are parasocial in nature but to me it's like nothing nothing lamer than doing a a hang podcast um yeah fuck all of that um shout out to my hang podcast (laughs) um but no, uh, the movie ends with this sort of like a uh, uh, very macabre. F- f- it's phantasmagoric. I've always wanted to say that and use that phantasmagoric. I don't know if that applies, but it seems like it fits. The sort of phantasmagoric scene of you know um, people being mur- murdered, and then um, then the guy sort of like he's experienced this hell, and then we cut back to him, and he's sort of like I don't know if he uh, if he's dead. I don't I don't quite know. Um, I don't quite know what. You know, I don't know how to take it. You know, I just know that uh, he experiences hell, what it's like to be in hell. Um, the two, the, like the priest is dead in hell, I guess. Uh, the other guy's dead, but undead. He was brought back. Uh, again, very weird, a very weird resolution to the story. Uh, but I do kind of like it. It's it's definitely novel. It's definitely um it's definitely something that you you definitely don't see like uh, and again like this this hell sequence and the way that he, the way that the main char- again I'm not going to ruin it I'm not going to ruin how he how it ends but it's very it, the, the it, like the gore that you see is great but the way that he suffers specifically it like builds to his suffering and and the way that he sort of like tortured in hell um fucking it's like it's like the money shot right and 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 when you see it you know what i'm talking about uh but but it's it's fucking great um and it sort of ends on on his sort of final sort of torture and uh and and if you want to call it death i don't know it's like but like he's literally laying there on the floor after he's experienced this moment in hell back at his house screaming and when he comes back and then he's then he stops moving uh, and then we see sort of uh, the the dead farm guy again, now dead again, but like the I think it's the priest that says you've entered the land of the mortals, you're free from suffering, come to us just or come justice. I think that's the guy's name, the farmhand justice, right? And then it sort of ends on him staring in this sort of like smoky tunnel, and then uh, we're back to Peter, aka the director of Olaf Ittenbach, closes a book. And says, now go to sleep, honey. And we see his sister staring wide-eyed, weirdly. And he puts his hands over her head, closes her eyelids, and he realizes, oh, there's a knife sticking in our, from her belly. Um, because Olaf has killed his sister. And then um, he walks out of the room, um, goes back out onto the balcony. Um, and you could tell he just can't live with himself after he's killed his sister again. Um, he's a very troubled guy, so he's, he has a knife in his hands. He sits down, he cuts his own wrist, and uh, bleeds to death, and then the movie ends, and that is, uh, the he dies under the moon, uh, the burning moon. So, that is the burning moon. Uh, it, it is a, uh, it is a SOV, uh, sort of cult classic, 
uh, that uh, I thought, hey, again, I'm leaning more towards extreme. Um, not to say that this will be a permanent sort of uh, thread that I'm on, because I'm definitely, uh, with MAS, you know, I want to cover all kinds of stuff. But again, I already said this before, like, leaning more towards a lot more extreme sort of uh, works of art, because I do feel like in a time where the uh, this kind of stuff, you don't sort of, uh, in this new age, sort of puritanical, that's not even the right word. I don't even think it's puritanical. Um, it's just sanitized uh, to a degree where the things that we're allowed to see or talk about or depict or show have been sort of dictated to us. I mean, and they always have been, right? doesn't matter what time we lived in. This was always a thing. It just looks the way it looks because of the time that we find ourselves in. Uh, but it's always important to highlight stuff that's going against the grain, um, which is why, you know, primarily I've shifted uh, some of the focus of my own interest in the interest of the topics uh, that I talk about for MAS. But yeah, um, this movie, you could check it out. You can rent it. Um, there's a DVD by Severin that you can buy, but you can also rent it uh, or buy it digitally on Amazon Prime. Or you can just watch it for free uh, if you want to. It's streaming. I think you can see it on like effedupmovies.com. Um, it might even be up on some other places too. Uh, go seek it out. Um, it's, it's you know, if, you, if you're into this kind of stuff, which I assume if you're listening to MAS, you probably are. You're definitely uh, going to fuck with this. So yeah, uh, that's uh, the end of episode 51 um, of season three. Uh, I'll be back again. I might be back again this week. You never know. Like I said, uh, moving forward with these solo episodes, it's definitely a possibility. But yeah, uh, as always, um, I don't know how to end podcast. So uh, this is the end. See y'all next time. Peace.